The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge. Today we're discussing the Hamilton Tiger Cats rolling out the red carpet for Bo Levi Mitchell. The Montreal Alouettes narrowing down their head coaching search. The Riders finally hiring an offensive coordinator. Canadian running back Chase Brown winning the John Cornish Trophy. And the Calgary Stampeders shaking up their front office, but first... Mike O'Shea has officially signed a three-year contract extension to remain the head coach of the Blue Bombers through 2025. President and CEO of the Winnipeg Football Club, Wade Miller, was non-committal regarding the future of general manager Kyle Walters, whose contract is up following the 2023 season. Hodge, do you see a GM change on the horizon in the peg? I do. I, I absolutely do. And I know that that might sound shocking to some people. The Bombers have obviously gone to three consecutive Grey Cups, winning two. Um, but when you look at the facts, when you look at the history, and you understand your history, I don't see any other way that this path could possibly lead. And let's break that down for our listeners really quick. Kyle Walters became the interim GM of the Bombers in 2013. At the end of that season, had the interim tag removed, and it was his choice to go out and interview Mike O'Shea for the head coaching role. And he was hired that same month, December, 2013. Those two have been together in lockstep for almost a decade now in Winnipeg. And not only them, but the brain trust around them, Ted Gavaya, Danny McManus, the two assistant general managers, Walters and O'Shea, the two previous times they've signed extensions in Winnipeg in 2016 and 2019, those were announced at the same time. Kyle Walters spoke to the media two weeks ago, said that the club has had no negotiations regarding an extension. And last week, Wade Miller spoke to the media alongside Mike O'Shea. By the way, Kyle Walters wasn't even at that press conference. He's rumored to be on vacation down south. And Wade Miller had every opportunity. I think he asked, he was asked four different times about Kyle Walters. Admittedly, I asked three of those questions. And he had ample opportunity to say, oh, you know what? We love Kyle. He's our GM and we're going to get that done. He, he never did that. He danced around it. He talked around it. He was completely non-committal, and I think that's because at the end of the day, he realizes that the reason, the primary reason, overwhelming reason, his team has been so successful over the last four, five, six years, going all these different playoff berths and home playoff games and filling IG Field, was the man seated immediately to his right, Mike O'Shea and not Kyle Walters. And for that reason, I do think that Winnipeg is going to have a new GM a year from now when Kyle Walters' current extension runs out. It's really easy to look at this situation from the outside and understand why you could answer that way, Hodge, that the Blue Bombers will have a new GM after Walter's contract comes to an end. Because as you said, they sat up there two times before. All three of them got the fancy picture together with the Blue Bombers helmet beside them. And the PR staff did up that setup in the past, but this time, it's just O'Shea and Miller together. And when you get asked that many times about your general manager, 
And as you alluded to, you are non-committal to say the least, and you really don't say many glowing things about them, then it leads everybody to believe that this is going to be the case. That at the end of 2023, either Mike O'Shea adds the title of general manager to his role, like we've seen Dave Dickinson recently do with the Calgary Stampeders. We'll get to that a little later on. Or another GM comes in there, perhaps one of the assistant GMs. I think that guy could be Ted Gavai, who has been there for just as long with those two in Winnipeg and has largely been behind the scenes. Gavai has a long-standing trusting relationship with O'Shea. So even if O'Shea did take that GM title, it would probably really be Gavai as the GM. And maybe that doesn't happen because O'Shea doesn't seem to be a guy who cares about titles and he's really focused on coaching. And he's trusted, especially those assistant GMs, Teddy Gavaya and Danny McManus, to go out and get the talent and have them sign to contracts. Now, Walters has done some of that contract negotiating. Zach Caleros most recently is an example of that. But Gavaya has done a bunch of it behind the scenes and it's gone unnoticed. So I think that could be the guy who slides into the GM chair after Walters' contract has come up. Now, a lot of people out there, Hodge, are going to be saying, well, why would a two-time Grey Cup champion GM not be extended at the same time as O'Shea? So I'll let you try to answer that question as best you can. Well, to me, and and I think this is self-evident, right? If, if Mike O'Shea wanted Kyle Walters to be the GM moving forward, he would be. Right. It's clear that the club has put the priority of Mike O'Shea first. They signed him. I asked Wade Miller point blank. Now that O'Shea is done, is signing Kyle Walters to an extension the next priority on your to-do list? And he sidestepped the question. He also started talking about the coaches cap, the operations cap, the non-football operations cap that was put in place following the 2018 season by the CFL's presidents and board of governors. By the way, conveniently, presidents don't have their own salaries as part of that. So they have not capped their own earnings while capping the earnings of everybody below them in football operations. I think that's really convenient. Well done to the CFL's presidents in that regard. <laughs> Make all the money, cap everybody else. Um, clever. It's it's shady, but it's clever. Um, but uh, he started talking about the cap and said, I said, well, you guys obviously have a very veteran brain trust. You've got two assistant GMs. Some teams only have one. You've got a GM, you've got a head coach. Some some teams, you know, Edmonton, you just highlighted Calgary, have combined those roles, head coach and GM. Bombers have not. I said, is it simply unrealistic with this cap in place to have such a veteran foundation? And Reed Miller said, no. So, so on the one hand, he's talking about the cap. But on the other hand, he's 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 said, and, and Kyle Walters has also said, they're not negotiating. So on the one hand, he seems to imply that there's not enough money for Kyle. On the other hand, they've said, we haven't even negotiated. And then he seemed to imply that the cap is the problem. But then he also said, oh, no, our, our current our, our foundation is, you know, that's that's still realistic to have under the cap. So he was dancing all around the question. And to me, it comes down to simply if if the GM right in place and typically it flows from president to GM to head coach. I think that they have skipped a step. I think they've said Mike is the reason primarily why we've had this success. And if Mike O'Shea says, I want Kyle to be the guy, obviously then Kyle is the guy, right? And I'm speculating here, but to me, that makes the most sense that he has gone and said, either I want that GM job 
or I want somebody else doing that GM job. And obviously the reasons behind that have not been made public. Hopefully the reporting comes out at some point why that is the case. But to me, that's the only possible explanation because there's no other reason for this step to have been skipped and for Wade Miller to be sidestepping point blank questions about why a GM who's been to three straight great cups does not have a contract and it doesn't appear will be given a contract extension beyond 2023. That's a great explanation, Mr. Hodge. Really well done. And if you're Wade Miller, you got to be careful how you answer these questions because we're going to dissect and analyze every single word. So when something, as you alluded to, doesn't add up and you're sort of talking about two different things there with the football operations cap, which aren't negotiating, then we're going to at least ask the question, well, this doesn't necessarily make sense. And I think what you alluded to is exactly what has happened in Winnipeg. O'Shea values culture there, and he is the main reason why this team has been able to go to three straight Grey Cups. Yes, there are a bunch of other ones, but that culture of trust with the players and the people close around him on that coaching staff is the reason why this team has been so good. There's a bunch of other reasons. Obviously, the front office has gone out and gotten talent and rebuilt that entire roster from the disaster that it was left in when Joe Mack left town. Obviously, getting Zach Caleros in that last-minute trade, which was orchestrated by Kyle Walters, but it came right down to the deadline, was a major reason why the Bombers have been able to go to three straight great cups and win two. The offensive line has been the best in the CFL over that time. Willie Jefferson, Jackson Jeffco, Adam Big Hill, to name a few, have been part of a historic defense. And those are lots of the reasons why. But the guy at the top, O'Shea, ultimately has the power now because he has two rings, gone to three straight, and is just a leader of men in a way that has been rarely seen if ever in this league, like if he can go to four straight or five straight great cups, we're talking about the only other team in CFL history that's done that is the Edmonton football team. So O'Shea now holds the power there in Winnipeg. And it's clear to me that there is at least a disconnect between O'Shea and Walters. And that is at least a small reason why. And as you said, perhaps there'll be more reporting that comes out as to why Walters was not at this press conference and now why their contracts were not signed for extensions at the same time. Well, and let's also mention this. Of the players you mentioned, many of whom are also very significant reasons why this team has had so much success, if you strap them to a lie detector, lie detector test and said, hey, is the reason that you're in Winnipeg Kyle Walters or Mike O'Shea, right? That, to me, is the important question. Obviously, we're not going to get the answer to that question, but I think the answer would be, I'm speculating, but I think the answer would be, I'm here because I want to play for Mike O'Shea. I'm from Winnipeg. I love Winnipeg. I live in Winnipeg, but I know the thing that's attracting the Winnipeg is not the weather or the mosquitoes or the snow. I think it's Mike O'Shea. That's, that's... What about the forks, man? The forks are nice. The forks, the forks are legit. I'll give, I, I like the forks. I take my dog around the forks in the, in the, in the fall and the spring, not the summer. The summer's too hot. But uh, I'm just saying, I think Mike O'Shea is the reason those players have stayed. And a lot of them have committed to Winnipeg. Adam Big Hill and Willie Jefferson live here year-round. Zach Kolaris has talked about living here year-round, right? I mean, that's something that that uh, remains to be seen. But anyways, I, I think it's because of O'Shea. I don't think it's necessarily because of Kyle. And I think that's why things have unfolded the way they have. 
The Hamilton Tiger Cats rolled out the red carpet for pending free agent quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell and his wife Madison this past week. What can you tell us about the meet and greet? And do you think Mitchell will be signing a long-term contract with the Ticats? Well, the Ticats put on a full-court press. Orlando Steinauer had said that they wanted to get him on campus to use a university term and show him everything that Hamilton and the organization had to offer. And his wife Madison was along on the trip with him. But really the most important part of this is that contract, as you alluded to, whether it's short-term or long-term. Just Mitchell signing in Hamilton will be a win for the Tiger Cats, who took a chance in going out and acquiring his rights without having a contract ready to be signed and having Mitchell ready to sign it, more importantly. So he was on Hamilton, and by all accounts, it seems like he enjoyed that visit, had a long conversation with Tommy Condell, the offensive coordinator, who is a veteran that has worked with a number of different quarterbacks. This is a guy that has won football games with David Watford at quarterback. So you know that he's able to mold his system and be able to develop a rapport quickly with the quarterback and understand his skill set to get the best out of him. And I think that was the most important conversation for Bo Levi Mitchell to have. It's nice to get wined and dined and the president or the CEO, I should say, of the Ticats, Scott Mitchell, was there and usually he's around or he's involved in these big time deals for the Tiger Cats, for these upper echelon or elite players like Bo Levi Mitchell is. So that leads me to believe that this is going down the road of Mitchell potentially signing in Hamilton. I've talked to some people around the league after the visit and they believe he could sign in the near future. I hesitate to put a timeline on it because that's really ultimately going to be up to Bo Levi Mitchell, his wife Madison, and his family as well. They have a couple daughters that should be factored into this equation. They've been in Calgary a long time. So wherever Mitchell goes, it's going to be a different situation than the Mitchell family has been used to for, what is it now, nearly a decade out in Calgary being with the Stampeders. So I think that's a major factor in this is – Realizing, and I think they have, that there's going to be a major change with the Mitchell family, but also the family aspect of it. Mitchell's going to want to have his family be comfortable with whichever city he chooses. And the Ticats have generally in the past done a great job at doing that with players that they've wanted to bring in there. Big name guys. I can remember when they brought Andy Fantuz there, and that was something that was a big signing for them, getting him away from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So that's just. One example, Zach Caleros, way back when, when they got him in free agency from the Toronto Argonauts, was a major signing as well. So they're used to being able to take care of some of these deals. Chris Williams, Delvin Bro in the past when he came back from the NFL, almost went to the Argonauts, but Scott Mitchell stepped in at the last minute to make sure that that deal was going to get done and he was going to remain with Hamilton at least for that time before he finished his career with BC. So that's some background in terms of when Scott Mitchell steps into something in Hamilton, it's likely going to get done. So that's what leads me to think that this could help Mitchell signing on the dotted line in Hamilton. Yeah, to me, Mitchell and Hamilton is starting to feel like a matter of when, not if. I mean, at the end of the day, he already went on CKRM Radio in Regina and said he wants to play in a place where football matters. To me, that was his way of saying Toronto is out. 
right? He wants to wait and see where the coaching staffs fall. Well, guess what? That shoe dropped. We're going to talk about it in a moment. The Riders hiring an offensive coordinator. Kelly Jeffrey has no connection to Bo Levi Mitchell, right? We know Tommy Condell's never worked with Bo Levi Mitchell either, but the Ticats have a better offensive line, a better situation overall than the Riders do, right? To me, the Riders' best shot at Bo Levi Mitchell is to say, okay, we're going to trade for the rights to Zach Williams, who's a very good young guard. We're going to go and trade for the rights to, you know, a, a top free, uh, pending free agent tackle, and we're going to sign them both to extensions. And, oh, by the way, we're going to go out and get an OC who's worked with you before. We're going to hire a Mark Mueller. We're going to hire uh, a Pete Costanza, right? We're going to go out and get somebody who makes you feel comfortable, makes you feel good. And to me, right, that has simply not happened. I think I think Hamilton has always been the best place for Bo. And the way that the chips have fallen since our last week's episode, Dunk, I just see that being more so the case. Steve Melton wrote a great column on Bo Levi Mitchell's visit as well for the Hamilton Spectator. I'd encourage our listeners to check it out. Um, to me, this is this is this is the future. And obviously the question then becomes, and what comes of Dane Evans? who is not a pending free agent. He is under contract for 2023. To me, it's also clear that as soon as Mitchell signs on the dotted line, Evans' tenure in Hamilton will be done, which of course will only help the quarterback's carousel spin even quicker for quarterbacks because there are multiple other teams looking to upgrade that position. seems like Evans already knows his tenure in Hamilton is done because we saw him on Instagram posting a video of moving trucks outside of his Hamilton home. So I think true. Evans has an idea that it's really fate to complete. And just to touch on Mitchell and the Riders for a second, because there was a time there during the end of the regular season where when I was talking to people around Saskatchewan and inside and outside the Rough Riders building, that they were excited about the possibility of getting Bolivar Mitchell to be their quarterback. But that has completely changed. There's been no mention of that now ever since the Tiger Cats acquired his rights. It's a much different thinking there. And based on people that I've talked to in Regina, I've been told that Kelly Jeffrey actually likes Dane Evans. So there could be some sort of a fallout here, as you alluded to, when Mitchell signs, and it does seem like it's becoming when, not if, in Hamilton, Dane Evans gets released, he goes out to Saskatchewan, and perhaps is involved in a starting quarterback competition with Cody Fajardo because it seems like now, based on what Kelly Jeffrey has said, that he believes the Riders can win a great cup with Fajardo at quarterback. And Craig Dickinson has now called Cody Fajardo after he said he was surprised at the lack of communication from the Riders so far in the offseason. So Dickinson is trying to mend that relationship with Fajardo, just realizing that they're likely not going to have even a chance to get Bo Levi Mitchell. Now, the one other outside thing that I'll mention quickly, and I don't usually do this, but it's somewhat intriguing, is there is a thought because Jeremy O'Day has a connection to Edinburgh, which is where Trevor Harris played his collegiate football. There are some people that think that the Riders could open up the checkbook to go after Harris if he gets to free agency but I don't see Danny Machocha letting that happen. And I think Harris is actually happy in Montreal with the situation because he knows Machocha is behind him much different than what happened in Edmonton when Brock Sunderland and Jamie Elizondo threw Harris under the bus for that disastrous season that was their fault and not the fault 
of Mr. Trevor Harris. So I do think this quarterback carousel can spin rather quickly, but that's how I see it playing out right now. I believe an ideal scenario with the Tiger Cats would be to sign Bo Levi Mitchell for multiple years and also be able to find money to re-sign Matthew Schiltz, who was a guy that they really liked and looked good at times last year. It made them at least think, well, if he was the number one guy here in the future and he had all the first team reps, how good could he be? But Schultz is going to have some other suitors if he's going to be in that backup role. And we'll see if BC is actually happy with Vernon Adams Jr. as their starter or if they go out and bring in some other competition. Because I believe if you look around the league, it's pretty easy to see who's going to be the starting quarterback for a lot of these teams going into 2023. Something I'll, I'll add quickly is, first of all, Dane Evans does not have an offseason bonus due. So it's not as though they have to make a decision on him by, you know, sometimes these offseason bonuses will kick in January 1st or January 15th or, or February 1st. So they don't have to make a, a rush deal on him. The other thing I was thinking about this week is because the Ticats traded for Bolivar Mitchell's rights under the new CBA, I believe that they can sign him to a partially guaranteed contract. Whereas if he were to go to free agency, say, and, and pursue a deal with the Riders or, or or the Argos or some dark horse that comes up at the last second, those teams could not do that. So extra credit for the Ticats for getting that trade done because that gives them even more leverage to sign Bo and say, hey, we're not just giving you a big fat signing bonus for 2023. We can also guarantee you a portion of your of your salary in 2025, just like you know the, the, the Blue Bombers did for Zach Kolaris, right, on his three-year extension. So... Um, to me, that is uh, an even more makes makes the move even more shrewd from a tie cats perspective. That's a major factor, Hodge. Honestly, and I was going to point it out right after I was letting you speak there. But oh, that's that convenient. Way. That's convenient. yeah. Not a lot. Of, not a lot of people are talking about that fact, right? That the tie cats have that ability to give a quarterback who is getting into his mid thirties guaranteed money. Now, I understand. Mitchell is confident in his abilities and he wants to play multiple more seasons. But still, the fact that you can get that guaranteed money, no matter what happens, because pro sports and football in and of itself are so unpredictable, is a game changer for the Tiger Cats. So when Mitchell's sitting down and discussing this with Madison and his family and his camp and the people around him, that's going to weigh into this because that's going to be substantial. That's going to be a six-figure amount that he's guaranteed, right? It's going to be well over $100,000 and it could even be over $200,000 depending on the type of contract and the way that it's structured in that final year that he signs with Hamilton. So I think that's a smart point, Mr. Hodge. You took it right out of my own brain. All right. The Montreal Alouettes have narrowed their search for a head coach to five candidates. Four of them are internal. They are defensive coordinator Noel Thorpe, quarterbacks coach Anthony Calvillo, special teams coordinator Byron Archambault, running backs coach and assistant head coach Andre Balduke, and former Saskatchewan Rough Riders offensive coordinator and Edmonton football team head coach Jason Moss. Who do you think will get the gig? My money is on Noel Thorpe for this job. Um, I, I will say, I, I you know, when the Ottawa Red Blacks head coaching job came open, the, the chatter that I was privy to indicated that that was going to truly be an open job, right? They cast a wide net. I think they had eight candidates for the initial round, put it to three finalists. They ended up going in-house with Bob Dice, but it was truly an open competition. 
The chatter with this job in Montreal was kind of the opposite. It's like, okay, Danny Machocha is going to hire someone he knows extremely well and trusts um, implicitly. And not necessarily, right? Some, you know, the candidate, the successful candidate was not necessarily going to be, you know, a hot shot up and comer from another team. It was likely going to be someone from within that organization. And as they came out and announced, so by the way, full credit to the Alouettes for transparency, flat out announcing, this is who we interviewed. I would love to see more teams do that because so often, right, these things are cloak and dagger for some reason. I don't see the advantage of being secretive around who you're interviewing or not interviewing. Uh, but you may as well announce it. So full credit to the Owls for doing that. But exactly 80% of their their candidates currently are employed by the team. And the other, Jason Moss, was the franchise quarterback at Edmonton back in the, the early and middle mid-2000s with Danny Pachocha was the head coach and GM there. So obviously he has interviewed people. He knows very well. I think that this is North Thorpe's job to lose. I'm not saying that he's going to get the job. I think Jason Moss still has a shot. Um, he has the advantage of being an offensive guy, right? We know that the Alouettes currently do not have an offensive coordinator. Kahari Jones had both jobs, was fired in July. Uh, interestingly, Anthony Calvillo picked up that role. He is now simply listed on the team's website as a quarterback's coach. I don't know if they they ever officially gave him the title of OC and removed it or not. Uh, but there is even some chatter that maybe Jason Moss could be the OC, an assistant head coach, and Noel Thorpe could be the head coach and, and potentially his own DC. So to me, I think I think Thorpe is the guy, but I'm interested to hear who you think it'll be. That scenario would make a lot of sense. And I think if Thorpe is the head coach, then you need a guy as an experienced offensive coordinator. And Moss has been spectacular as an offensive coordinator. There is no doubting that in the stops that he's had. I mean, some people in Saskatchewan might argue with that, and that's really the only blip on his record. But especially when he was with the Ottawa Red Blacks, that offense was really, really good. So I think that would be a great way to go. You know, I thought leading into this that Moss would be the leader in the clubhouse for this job. And I still do think that it could be him. But the more that you talk to people, you start to get the sense that it could be Thorpe. Now, I think the Alouettes need to be careful here because – there are rumblings from players that even if Thorpe just stays on that staff, let's say as a defensive coordinator and is not named the head coach, which I think would make it actually even worse in terms of what I'm about to say, there are going to be players that will not resign there because Thorpe is on the coaching staff. And that's just coming from the players who some of them could be in Montreal or could be gone from Montreal and players that are talking to other players. So it's not an ideal relationship to have if you're going to make that guy your head coach. That's why I think Moss still has a chance to be the head coach because he has had that position before. He has the relationship with Dana Machocha. And if it doesn't happen to work out, then you could go to Thor. So I think the better way from my perspective to go would be making Moss the head coach because he does have respective players around the league. One of them, maybe somewhat surprisingly to some people out there, is Cody Fajardo. He, if it ever happened in the future, would be open to playing for Jason Moss after their time together in Saskatchewan, even though it didn't necessarily go all that well on the field with the Riders missing the playoffs in 2022. So I think it could be Moss. I can understand why it could be Thorpe, but I don't really think the other three candidates are in the mix here. I think that's Machocha trying to help elevate the profiles, especially of Archambault 
who's been really tight with them since their days at the University of Montreal. They won a Vignette Cup together when Machocha was the head coach and Archambault was a star linebacker there. And then after Archambault's CFL playing career ended, he's been with Machocha, you know, essentially ever since. So I think that's part of what's going on in terms of the other candidates, but it's really a two-man race. And I could see either guy getting it at this point. It wouldn't surprise me. But in either scenario, I think Thorpe or Moss would still be part of the other guy's staff. Just to put into perspective for our listeners, how tight, um, I mean, we know how tight Jason Moss has been with, with Danny Machocha. To put in perspective how tight Noel Thorpe has been, Noel Thorpe and his family, I believe, are based in Edmonton when Baron Miles was fired in July and Thorpe was hired to run the defense. Basically overnight, Thorpe lived in Danny Machocha's house, according to my sources, for the length of that season. That is how close they are. They lived together in the same home for, for a matter of months and months in La Belle Provence. So to me, that would be an awkward conversation to have. Hey, Rumi, I know <laughs> I know you've lived in my house and eaten dinner with my family, um, not just like for once, you know, offhanded thing. I'm talking like for, for weeks and weeks and months and months on end. But no, you can't coach my football team. Uh, that would be an awkward that'd be a conversation I wouldn't want to have. Uh, but uh, that is how close these men are, and that's why I think that uh, that that Thorpe will be the guy. Though again, it could be Moss, uh, or it could actually be both. And and by the way, I think both would be a good way to go. Obviously, that team needs an OC. The only thing is, if Jason Moss is running the offense, they're going to have to cut or trade William Standback because there's no point paying that amount of money to a running back who's going to get to carry the ball seven times a game. <laughs> Uh, Jamal Morrow and Frankie Hickson have their hands up saying, yeah, I know what you're exactly. talking about. Speaking of, the running backs coach in Saskatchewan who helped Jamal Morrow have all, all that success in 2022 with the Riders and Frankie Hickson as a rookie, Kelly Jeffrey is now the Riders' offensive coordinator and one of the worst-kept secrets in the recent memory of the CFL. Dunk, you reported that Toronto Argonauts uh, receivers coach and passing game coordinator Pete Costanza was also offered the gig but declined he was not the only one who turned down an interview or the job itself. Was Jeffrey the right hire in Saskatchewan? There's so much to go over, but I'll answer your question first. And I'm actually going to say yes, because of the situation and the contracts of Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson coming to an end after the 2023 season, going into a lame duck year. I think it is. And Jeffrey did take, a one-year deal to be the offense coordinator. But let's go through everything, okay? Because there are some, I think, lies going on that are being told out there that are not necessarily true. They had a number of people turn this job down or go elsewhere. Kahari Jones would be one of them. And don't get it twisted. The riders talked dollars and cents and contract with Mr. Jones. And from what I've been told, could have had him if – their second offer was their first offer. But Jones goes to Ottawa because they were up front with him and showed them the money, money, money that he wanted to see up front. So he ends up being on the staff of Ottawa Red Blacks head coach Bob Dice. Mark Mueller, the hometown boy, politely said thanks, but no thanks. And he's not a guy that's going to talk a lot about the situation, but you look at it. And not only do the contracts not line up with that coaching staff and the front office and the regime that's currently there in terms of being beneficial for a young coach making a jump 
to being a first-time play caller in the CFL. You want to have a longer runway than just one year. But you also don't know for certain, and you might not know for a little while, who your quarterback's going to be. So Mueller politely says, thanks, but no thanks. The Riders asked to interview Jarius Jackson and Marcus Howell, who are both on Chris Jones' staff in Edmonton, both declined the invitation to interview for that role. I've also been told that secretly, I guess because it hasn't been put out there, the Riders interviewed one Marcel Belfay, who is currently the head coach of the University of Ottawa, Gigi. So I've lost count here, Hodge, how many guys they talked to and interviewed before they finally offered the job to Jeffrey, who I was told was going to be the guy most likely the whole way along. Now, it didn't work out exactly as I had thought it would. I thought they would have gone to Jeffrey rather quickly. But I think there are a couple of things at play here. I think Craig Dickinson wanted to make it look like, and the riders as well, that they put in a full search here. But in reality, Jeffrey ends up with a job. But you got to understand how that looks optically because there were rider fans in the Three Down Nation Twitter feed, Hodge, I bet yours as well, and in mine, that were talking about how bad this looks, how much of a mess it appears to be when you go through this situation of a bunch of people turning you down. And they can't quite understand why all of these people would not want to be in the football hotbed of Regina. Well, it's not because of the fan base. A lot of football guys love being in markets where the fans care. That's why Bo Levi Mitchell wants to be in that type of market because he thrives off that. So I don't think it had anything to do with that. It had to do with the current regime. And if you look at it, and some people won't like this, but the riders have gone progressively downhill in terms of record every year after Chris Jones has left. So this current regime needs to show that on its own, it can be successful. And I think that's why 2023 is so critical, obviously because these guys are in contract years. But to answer that question, was this just a team largely built by Chris Jones and his staff that Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson took over and ran really well in 2019, but then it went down a step in terms of win-loss record in the regular season in 2021 and then again in 2022, or can they build something completely on their own? That is a major question mark to answer and will ultimately, I believe, decide their fate. Yeah, to me, I, I don't have a lot to add to this. I'll just say I think Kelly Jeffrey deserved an opportunity, right? All he was asking for was an opportunity, and he has a chance to take the ball and run with it, pun fully intended. I think the the flaw really with the Riders this past season on offense was they simply didn't run the ball enough. If you have two dynamic running backs and you have a young offensive line that is struggling – it doesn't take a genius level football IQ to go, hey, maybe we should run the ball. Maybe we should run the ball. Oh, by the way, at our quarterback's on a hobbling knee right now. Okay, maybe we should run the ball. And uh, the Riders never did that. And so with him having the opportunity to have Morrow back, have Hickson back, they're both in a contract for 2023. Hopefully they still upgrade that offensive line. Hopefully they go and figure out what that quarterback situation, whether it's for John or somebody else. But they needed fresh blood in that spot. Um, Jason Moss is known for his propensity to throw the football and, and throw it all over the field. That worked brilliantly with the Ottawa Red Blacks, as you mentioned, Dunk, prior to his stint at Edmonton. 
clearly it did not work in Ryderville this past year. So we'll see how it plays out. But obviously, I do agree. From an optics standpoint, this was a mess. If Jeffrey was the guy from the beginning, all you had to say was that. Jeffrey's our guy. He's going to run the offense. Let's go. Just because it played out this way from how the riders handled it doesn't necessarily mean that Jeffrey can't be successful. And that's not a reflection on him, how this whole offensive coordinator search went down in terms of the organization running it and how it ultimately ended with Jeffrey being named the offensive coordinator. I actually think that he can be successful and some people around the league might laugh, but he is a guy who approaches his craft like a pro and has done so for a number of years, whether it was in university or getting a chance to come to the CFL as a special teams coordinator in 2016 with the Toronto Argonauts. He had a relationship with Scott Milanovic, was introduced to Milanovic by Jonathan Heimbach, a longtime offensive line coach in the CFL and has been a coach for a while. And Jeffrey was actually supposed to be on Milanovic's staff with the Edmonton football team before Milanovic left to go back to the NFL. And then Jamie Elizondo was brought in and he wanted his own guys there. So Jeffrey does have a little bit of CFL experience, not a lot. He's obviously not been a play caller, but he really works at his craft. And I think at least from what I've seen in his work at Mount Allison University and my interactions with him and the players and people talking about him, largely in glowing terms. Now, it's obviously different from the Canadian University football level going to the CFL, but I think he has a lot of the traits to be successful in the pros. That said, he's going to have to go out and prove it. But I love some of the quotes that came out of his first media availability as the offensive coordinator. He wasn't Making things up, I felt like he was very honest in terms of his feelings about the situation that played out from the offense coordinator search and also the situation in Saskatchewan with O'Day and Dickinson being on expiring contracts going into the 2023 season. And outside that, he seems very confident and also understands that the players have to believe in him. And I think his background from being a running backs coach will help that offense run the ball more, but the most important aspect for Jeffrey to be successful is that quarterback spot. And he talked about Fajardo and how he believes he can win a great cup with him. He thinks he could be successful, Fajardo that is, with multiple organizations. And he kept reiterating that the offense needs to bend around the quarterback and really fit their skill sets, not the other way around. And I think that was one issue that wasn't ideal with the Jason Moss, Cody Fajardo pairing as much as those two, I think could potentially work together down the line or at least would like to. So you need to get a quarterback in there that Jeffrey is confident in. And that's why I think we're seeing him talk in glowing terms about Fajardo to help repair that relationship with the organization, but also with the understanding that it's going to be a competitive situation that Fajardo potentially returns to if he does go back to Saskatchewan because I've been told that Jeffrey likes Dane Evans and you can see that fit there. And Hodge, you had that super stat about Evans having a higher quarterback rating than one Mr. Bo Levi Mitchell last season, even though to me numbers can sometimes be misleading. That's one stat that I think Ryder fans are going to cling to. There you go. The Calgary Stampeders shook up their front office this past week as John Huffnagel relinquished the role of general manager 
to stay on solely as president. Head coach Dave Dickinson will take on GM duties, while Brendan Mahoney is now the assistant GM. What do you make of these moves? Well, I, I don't think a whole heck of a lot will change, to be quite honest. I mean, the, the Stamps brought in John Huffnagel as the head coach and general manager back in 2008. So it, it's been a long time coming that he's been in the, in the GM role. 14 years. His record speaks for itself. I think it was 175, 70, and three in the regular season, which is ridiculous. Um, that being said, I mean, Dickinson indicated that this is nothing new. This was agreed upon last offseason as part of his contract extension. By the way, interesting that you'd sign a three year extension as the head coach year one, head coach and GM in years two and three. I wonder if any other teams in the league might replicate that type of pattern, which is interesting. Mm. Um, that being said, the Stampeders are a team that, frankly, have fallen off. <laughs> I'm not saying that they're not a good team. I'm not saying that there haven't been reasons for that, right? They've been picked clean every offseason with free agents, coaches going, right, often out east, often to the Toronto Argonauts, who just, by the way, won a great cup with about 50 people on staff or in the personnel rooms who used to be a member of the Stampeders. But the Stampeders used to be the unquestioned flagship franchise of the CFL. And now they haven't hosted a playoff game in two years. They haven't won one in four years. Um, things are not the same as they once were in Cowtown. Um, full credit to John Huffnagel for what he did. Um, he's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. Well-earned. But I also think there comes a time, and let's also be honest, John Huffnagel is a 71-year-old man. I think there comes a time when change is needed. And I think, again, with all due respect to what he accomplished and, and, and the success that the Stampeders are having to this day, because, again, they're, they're certainly not a bad team. Um, I, I think there was maybe a need for some change and for some people who are up and coming and younger in that organization to take on larger roles. Let it be known that I have the utmost respect for John Huffnagel, who has won That's more great right. cups than I will ever win, who has won more games than I will ever win in any position in the CFL. He is a legend in this game. That said, Hodge, exactly what you were alluding to with the playoffs and the lack of success the last three seasons going out in the first round is a major difference for this organization. They're used to having a bye going into the West Final, usually hosting that West Final, and most of the time being in the Grey Cup. So that was a major difference for Calgary. And I also think there needed to be some sort of a change. And Dave Dickinson was asked this question directly by Three Down Nation contributor Ryan Valentine, who is our Calgary Stampeders guy on the site. And he asked Dickinson that, will you be like Huffnagel and say, as a blanket statement that nobody here will be the highest paid player at their position in the league. And Dickinson, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, but said, never say never. Now it should be noted that Bo Levi Mitchell was very close to that in his time in Calgary. He was the second highest paid just a little bit behind Michael Riley when he signed that big contract with the BC Lions. And Mitchell did the same with the Calgary Stampeders after the 2018 season. But I think that needs to change a little bit in Calgary because if you're going to keep players long-term and if they're going to want to realize that they can stay with the team past their rookie deal, 
where Huffnagel has done a wonderful job and that front office has done a wonderful job of consistently bringing in talent to be able to do so. I think that needs to change a little bit. I think you need to have your franchise building blocks. Now, Bolivar Mitchell was that, and you can look at some other guys at some other positions, perhaps like a Trey Roberson, who was great with Calgary, went down, tried the NFL, got injured, and then did come back, and they paid him fairly. There's always been a sense, especially the years that I've been covering this league, that you're not going to get paid what you're actually worth by the stamps. Now, that used to be able to be recouped by players with the playoff bonuses because you could essentially catch the check that you were going to make from the West Final and at least a great cup appearance to make up for that lack of cash in terms of your base salary and overall in your contract for that year. But I think there was a sense for some players that are saying, hey, I'm performing at a high level and I actually want to stay here. But in the back of their mind, they knew that Huffnagel was not going to pay top dollar. Now, I am not a salary capologist at all, but that is just what you hear from talking to players who have either stayed in Calgary for less or have gone elsewhere to make more, regardless of it has worked out elsewhere or not. I think that will be a subtle change under Dickinson as GM. It's interesting how the narrative around Huffnagel has been that you know, and Ryan wrote this in his column, right? He said, oh, well, you know, this is a team that, you know, Huff, Huff doesn't believe in, in, for example, day one free agent signings. Well, I remember in February 2020, the Stamps actually being quite active on the first day of free agency. I went back and looked it up. They signed Richard Leonard away, field side halfback from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They signed Connor McGough away from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They signed Ronnie Pfeffer, right? This was Remember, this was after the retirement of Rob Maver. And they went out and signed Dakota Prukop. Now, they'd also signed Sean McEwen a few days earlier. He was released ahead of time by the Argonauts. But this was a year in 2020 when the Stamps went out and signed essentially five guys on the first day of free agency. Now, worth noting, Sean McEwen, former Calgary Dino, Connor McGough, former Calgary Dino. But I remember raising my eyebrow at that and being like, well, the only reason you do this is if you feel like you know you, you have to go out and make make a bit of a wave with your team. Let's recall, by the way, that the Stamps had just lost in shocking fashion to a team predominantly re- led by Chris Strebler in the West semifinal in Winnipeg. And by the way, since then, Dunk, that 2020 free agency, the Stamps have gone 20-14 and 14 in the regular season and lost the semifinal on the road both years. Now, 20-14 and 14 is still a perfectly respectable record, but it's not what we came to – pardon me, 20-12 and 12 – is a perfectly respectable record, but it's not what we came to expect from the Calgary St. Peters under John Huffnagel for all those seasons, where they were winning 13, 14, 15 regular season games and wrapping up the West Division by, like, what, mid-October? Like, that's just not what what we've become accustomed to. So, again, I'm not saying that the Calgary St. Peters are in the bottom tier of the CFL. What I'm saying is this team used to be the unquestioned top team in the league, and they've slept to the second tier alongside teams like Hamilton, along teams like the Toronto Argonauts, I put in that category. Even the BC Lions, who I think came up from the third tier this past year under Nathan Rourke. And if Nathan Rourke stays healthy, who knows? Maybe they win the West Division. Uh, but regardless, this is a team that I think needed the shakeup. And uh, I think getting Dickinson in that dual role now is a nice way to, first of all, pay him some extra money. And second of all, 
prevent somebody else from potentially coming in and trying to scoop him up in that role or trying to scoop up one of his assistants in that type of role and keeping more of that talent in-house. Because that's what you're saying, Dunk. They need to do a better job of keeping their talent because guess what? If you're not finding the talent at the same rate that people are scooping it, your team's going to get worse. And that's exactly what has happened over the last three, four, five years in Calgary is that talent drain. They have not filled the reservoir, so to speak, as quickly as other teams have been draining it. There's a fair argument to be made there, though, that Calgary has been the best team in the CFL in terms of developing talent throughout that John Hoffnagel era, even the last few years where they've lost in the first round of the playoffs. I think they would be right there, certainly the last few years with any other team in the league. And Hodge, feel free to challenge me on this in a minute. But I think that's one of the issues where if you're going to develop this talent, you want to keep some of it in-house. And yes, I understand the salary cap plays into this, but there are other franchises that are able to keep their star guys for longer than Calgary has, at least a bunch of them, just after their first contracts, they leave because they can get that 10, 15, 20, even sometimes $50,000 more elsewhere. And that's substantial for a player if their playing career is so short, like we often see in pro football. So I think that's one thing that should be said is I think how Calgary does a great job of bringing in new talent and developing a lot of talent, especially at the quarterback position. They've always had that next guy or two ready behind whoever the starter has been. And that's what's happened with Bo Levi Mitchell. Dave Dickinson felt like it was time for Mitchell to sit down and Jake Mayer to take over. And really that decision showed me that there was some foreshadowing and that Dickinson had more power in the organization. And ultimately it's led to this where he does become the dual role guy as head coach and general manager. And it should be said, a lot of the things that are foundational for Dickinson are things that he's learned from Huffnagel because Huffnagel was so successful in that dual role. So nothing in terms of at least what I'm saying, I don't want to speak for you, Hodge, but is a shot or a slight towards Huffnagel. And I straight up asked him, he didn't necessarily like, like <laughs> the question, but was part of the reason here that you're going to just be the president, the fact that you haven't won a playoff game in the last three seasons? Because in the past, before that, 2018, going all the way back to when Bo Levi Mitchell led them to that improbable win against the Hamilton Tiger Cats in 2014, and even before that, that would be unfathomable. It was usually, you could count on Calgary being in that West Final, and he didn't like it. He asked for next question, and I totally understand that, and I'm okay. If you're going to stand in the line of fire, you better be ready to take the heat that comes back at you. But I think that had to play a factor from somewhere upstairs in that organization. That Hey, we used to be really good. We haven't won a playoff game in three seasons here. What's going on? Now, I'm not saying that was the only reason, but it could have been one of them. And Dickinson, you know, it was kind of a colorful comment, but said, hey, Huff has earned the right to go out and play more golf in Arizona in the winter, or go fishing. And as you mentioned, he is 71 years old. He has been doing this at a high level for a long, long, long time. So that's why I'm not taking a shot at Mr. Huffnagel whatsoever. I have the utmost respect for him. But at some point, you just don't have the capacity to do it. And I think that's proven on the field. And Dickinson alluded to this as well, that he's going to be judged on 
wins and losses, fairly or unfairly, that scoreboard is going to determine how successful or how people view him as being a potentially successful dual role guy. And I'll, I'll just say this on Huff. To me, the success, like we're talking about today and we're talking about the future. To me, the success that he enjoyed from 2008 to 2018 is irrelevant, right? That would be like a player saying, hey, uh, I know I've been, you know, more or less average the last three years, but I was really, really good before that. So I want to be paid like I was paid 10 years ago, right? If, if a player said that, they'd get laughed at, right? Because the decline happens more naturally. Um, I have the utmost respect for Mr. Huffnagel as well. All I'm saying is you cannot deny that there has been at least some level of decline in Cowtown. And I think that the timing of this is good because it gives Dave Dickinson an opportunity to try to turn that around. It's time for Hodge's Heritage Moment. On this day in 1983, Johnny Bright passed away of a heart attack at the age of 53. The Indiana native played 13 seasons in the CFL with Calgary and Edmonton starting in 1952, rushing for 10,909 yards and 67 touchdowns. Bright was named the CFL's most outstanding player in 1959, becoming the first black player to receive the award. He was inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in 1970 and remains the league's fourth leading all-time rusher. If you haven't already, folks, Google the Johnny Bright incident back to his days. I believe it was Drake College or Drake University. Um, a remarkably important moment in Canadian college, or pardon me, in, in American college football uh, regarding race, regarding inequality, um, and an incident without which he may never have played in the CFL. He was a first-round NFL draft pick. Bright could have easily gone to play for, I believe it was the Philadelphia Eagles that drafted him. Uh, a remarkable moment in college history. And, uh, you know, you're just thankful that we got to witness Bright play north of the border. Um, because if it was today's day and age with the money being what it was, a player like Johnny Bright would have never sniffed the Canadian Football League. Well said, Hodge, and a great Hodges Heritage moment. The three-minute drill. The Riders have re-signed running back Jamal Morrow to a one-year contract. Is that a smart move? If the Riders are smart, he will lead the league in yards from scrimmage in 2023. Canadian offensive lineman and former Lumarch Trophy winner Laurent Duvernay-Tardif has been added to the New York Jets' active roster. Do you think he'll be a starter soon? It's possible, but that offensive line has played pretty well in front of Mike White. So we'll have to see what happens here at the back part of the season as the Jets are trying to get into the NFL playoffs. BC Lions have re-signed veteran kicker Sean White. Is that a wise decision? You never, you never value a kicker until you don't have a good one, right? And Sean White is a very good kicker, very smart move. For the Lions. London, Ontario native Chase Brown has won the John Cordes Trophy as the top Canadian in NCAA football after a sensational season with the Illinois Fighting Illini. Pretty sure he was a unanimous decision, too. Was he a worthy winner? Definitely, man. This guy had a spectacular season, and he should have at least been a finalist for the Heisman Trophy in New York City at that ceremony, but alas, he was not there. At Crichton Trophy winner Kevin Mattel told you that he will likely return for one final year at Laval University, though there is a chance he could still go pro. What do you think he'll do? 
Well, I think he will go back to the Rouge or, but if he wanted to, he could be added to the 2023 NFL draft. CFL wise, he can't be in the draft earlier than 2024. So I guess the risk with declaring this year is if he doesn't get an NFL look, then he'll be on the couch for 12 months. So by going back to Laval, he at least gets to play youth sports no matter what. And then in 2024, if he makes the NFL, he's there. If not, I mean, heck, he'll be a first round CFL pick for sure, I would think. The Stampeders signed star receiver Reggie Bagleton to a two-year contract extension. Do you think he's worth that? I do. I think, you know, he was a little banged up this year and that didn't help us or let us see the real Reggie Bagleton that we're used to. And I think this is a sign also of Dave Dickinson taking over that GM position even before it was announced because that was for a substantial amount of money, more than probably Huffnagel would have given him. Longtime CFL coach John Gregory passed away this week at the age of 84. Do you have any memories of Mr. Gregory? I don't. He is before my time, but he did coach the Saskatchewan Rough Riders to one of four uh, franchise titles, championships, great cups in 1989 in what many consider the greatest great cup game of all time. Daryl Davis wrote a great column for us on his experiences covering Mr. Gregory and the Riders back then. I'd encourage you all to read it. Pending free agent receiver Duke Williams is undergoing ankle surgery, according to Riders head coach Craig Dickinson. Do you think he'll be back with the team? Dickinson didn't rule that out, and he really chalked up the season, which didn't live up to the $255,000 contract that he signed with the Riders leading into 2022 to injury issues for Williams. So it seems like there could be a chance for him to be back, but it will certainly not be at that kind of money for a quarter million dollars. The BC Lions signed co-general managers Rick Campbell and Neil McAvoy to contract extensions through 2024. Of course, Campbell is also the head coach. Did they deserve those deals? They absolutely did. And that's what happens when you have a generational quarterback who leads you to an eight and one start is all of a sudden everyone around them is a genius. And so to their credit, good for Neil, good for Rick. They're in Vancouver watching through 2024. Last one for our listeners. This will be the last episode of the Three Down Nation podcast this year, unless something crazy happens in the next seven days that we just absolutely have to talk about. We anticipate we'll be back with JC Abbott the first week of January. So if we don't see you till then, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Enjoy some eggnog, enjoy some time with your family, some treats. I know that I will. My belt is going to get a little bit tighter between now and the next time we do the podcast. And then we'll worry about that uh, when we're when we're back. I Dunk, I don't think your belt's gonna get any tighter. I think you're gonna I think you're gonna eat protein powder and saltine crackers until the next time we talk. Salty crackers would not be on my list, but I might have some avocado ice cream, just like Tom Brady. You know, keep it a little bit healthy, but still delicious. But as you said, happy holidays to all our listeners and dedicated readers out there. We appreciate the continued support for this great site. We work really hard at it, but we respect the dedication that everybody has as well to take time out of their lives to listen to the podcast and read all of the content that we produce. So thank you to everybody for their continued support and wishing everyone out there all the best in the new year. And as you said, Hodge, unless there's something major before the end of the year, perhaps Levi Mitchell signing with the Tiger Cats, then this will be our last pod. So you never know, maybe check in and see if there's one before 2023. Well, you know where to find our podcast feed. I would assume our listeners are subscribed by now. If you're not, 
What are you waiting for? Get it done. Thanks as always.